Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I'm Jess Geyer. I'm one half of Wannabe Games, and I make tabletop role-playing games, and I've been doing it for a while. And I'm here with my my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hello, Craig. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Hi, Jess. Um, I'm Craig Campbell. I'm the owner of Nerdburger Games, and I also make tabletop role-playing games, and I've been doing it for a while, too. And I look around the Zoom chat and I see just you. Yes. Uh, no guests. Interesting. This is <laughs> this is like the first time we've done this in a, in a long time. I think we did one that was us talking about horror, right? I think that's yeah. the only time it was just you and me. We did like a silly little side thing where we talked about horror movies. Uh, yeah, and we might still do some of those. We'll yeah, I know happens. it's it's Halloween. You know, I mean, it's not <laughs> Halloween yet, but it will be soon. It's I October. Watched... It's close enough. <laughs> I watched the new Hellraiser. Did you? Last, I haven't seen it. Night. I haven't seen it. Is it good? Uh, it's it's solid. It's I enjoyed it generally. Um, it's different than the original. There's some. I don't want to get into any spoily kind mm-hmm. of stuff, but like you know, it, and that's not surprising. I'm not spoiling anybody by saying it's different. They know it's not a remake. It's uh, essentially like a reimagining slash reboot slash progression, or who knows? It's not really important what it is, but it's different because it's 30 years later and different sensibilities and filmmaking and all that. So yeah, it was it was fun. That's that's I'll have to check that out. I watched. I kicked off my October boy watching Hocus Pocus too. <laughs> just fun and then i watched uh i watched with alex last night um werewolf by night which is like the moon night the marvel thing yeah offshoot yeah because it's you know it's about werewolf and it's it's really cool too <laughs> it does a lot of like really good homages to like classic horror like the nosferatu uh shadow on the wall and stuff like that. it's really good it's it's very interesting you, very quick you- to watch if you know horror movies, like, yeah, there's like little Easter eggs. So that's fun. Yeah. Um, I love that. I'll have to check it out. Um, I also watched Class of Newcomb High today, which I had never watched before. It's a tr- <laughs> trauma movie. I don't know if you're familiar, familiar no. with trauma productions. No. Toxic Avenger, you may have heard of. Mm-hmm. The Toxic Avenger. Yeah, that's uh, Lloyd Kaufman and Trauma Studios. They make all of these kind of relatively low budget, kind of schlocky, gory, goofy horror movies. There's a billion of them. Um, I love them. They're lots of fun. Special effects, you know, practical effects, all sorts of, you know, yeah. gore and, and slime and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um, anyway, yeah. Why Why is it? It's just the <laughs> two of us. We just did it. Yeah. Yeah. Why is it just the two of us? It's not to talk about horror movies, although I, we very quickly backslid into that. What <laughs> we are we talking about today? Uh, the thought was that, you know, we've, we've done 70 or so of these. And some of the people who listen to this, like, may know us from other things and may even know us personally or, like, chat with us in social media and that sort of thing. But there's probably a lot of listeners who don't know a great deal about us. Right. And so I thought maybe we'd give, we'd go into kind of, like, how we got into doing this as RPG designers and publishers and, like, the path that we took um, and how, you know, things that we've kind of run into along the way we'll share little stories from the trenches and just talk about the, the whole trenches. process <laughs> yeah, the, the... <laughs> well, that's the phrase right <laughs> yeah yeah i just Even think it's funny it's, to imagine it's not it, really like... yeah it's not trench warfare it's, <laughs> no, it's but... it's very mild it's very <laughs> it can feel of... it can feel, it can feel daunting intense. it can it feel can. daunting at times that's true um so jess how did you get started into to real briefly into gaming in general and into designing stuff and publishing 
Well, I, I grew up in a very nerdy household, um, although like you might not think of my parents as typical nerds. It's like my mom watched Doctor Who and Star Trek, which I never ended up getting really into. But my dad, my dad loved stuff like Planet of the Apes. He loved ah. Star Wars. He loved <laughs> playing like um, board games with me, especially like um, like Axis and Allies type board games, like the strategy kind of game like risk and you know stuff that can really spark you off into a path of playing something (laughs) beyond your your typical like family board games uh so I grew up doing stuff like that watching Crypt Keeper with him watching MST3K all of that fun stuff and I also played a lot of video games so grew up (laughs) being a nerd I loved it my mom worked in a bookstore too um so surrounded by all sorts of like fantasy books and everything my heart desired and that can really kickstart a kid's imagination and I think that that is one of the things that really draws people to role-playing games in the first place is that you want to like keep getting more stories and you want to be involved in the story and you want to build these cool worlds um so I started playing D&D is my first game I ever played I played it in middle school with some friends who had learned how to play from their older uh, older brother-in-law and from there it was all history we played all sorts of games then um, all sorts of tabletop role-playing games went to Gen Con with them for the first time and uh, yeah I mean it's pretty much a straight shot like okay started <laughs> playing like it was like normal nerdy childhood like that kind of stuff to started playing D&D and other role-playing games then in college I kept going I wanted to keep playing because I was away from my high school friends and that is when I met my buddy Bryce who who made role-playing games and that like that's how I started getting into into freelancing and and then eventually making my own I could keep going but it's a longer (laughs) story than that because I feel like it's like you know it's like two halves like my gaming career like my my playing games and then my making games are like two halves (laughs) yeah I'm, I'm there with you. Like the, the last six years is very different from the first big chunk of time for me too. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I mean, well, not last six years. I've been doing it for much less time, but um, I've, gosh, when did Alex and I start actually making stuff? 2019. This was the year before everything blew up. Uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. I, but before then I had, I have, I've been like, writing um like freelancing stuff like that since 2015 or 16 sure mm-hmm. what about you oh how'd you boy. get into gaming well i managed to just never quite fall in there in high school or junior high it was it wasn't until college um and it was on like the last week or the second to last week or something like that in college my friend brian um said hey you should try this game and it was dungeons and dragons <laughs> and so we played one game of ravenloft um, right before the spring semester ended. And I loved it because he did a great job of like, he pitched the game. He knew I was into horror, you know, and, and going back to like where I, where it all started, it was like, I, I consumed a fair amount of genre, like sci-fi fantasy horror stuff in junior high and high school. I was, uh, you know, obviously, you know, like I've made, a, I've made games that are homages <laughs> to some of those things, right? but uh, my first real love was horror. Like I fell 
hard for like I I read a lot of Stephen King. I read some Clive Barker, Dean Coons, some other stuff, um, different short story um, compilations from different authors. Um, and I did a, a lot of reading of that stuff. Um, and then me and my friend Matt watched a ton of horror movies back when you could <laughs> back when you could just be a 14 year old kid and walk into the mom and pop VHS store in town because there was one and they wanted your business. So like they would just rent rated our horror movies to us. Hey. <laughs> no problem. So yeah, a lot of that. Um, and so we played Ravenloft that summer. I went home. I bought the three core books. This is second edition D and D and just kind of devoured everything over the summer. Um, and then in college the next year, it just started from there. Just, we played D and D we played star Wars, shadow run, and, uh, a couple of other things, cyberpunk or, uh, yeah, a little bit of cyberpunk, a um, couple of other things. Um, eventually later in college, um, like vampire and especially vampire, um, but also like mage and a little bit of changeling and some of that stuff. And Deadlands, my favorite game of all time came yeah. out. Um, and it just all kind of went from there. Um, and then I got my first freelancing gig in 1999. Oh boy. Um, that's a while ago. Um, I was eight. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, that was for Living Greyhawk. It was just like a little module for the Highland region in Living Greyhawk, which is like which was this expansive living campaign that um, the RPGA was running back before other companies handled those things. The RPGA was kind of the the only game in town for a while, and uh, and then you know I did, I wrote a little something for Dragon Magazine. I had a few things in the pipe for Dragon Magazine. Those went kerplooey when the magazines got taken back by Wizards mm. when uh, Fourth Edition was coming, and they decided to go digital in the magazine. So I only I, and then and eventually I wrote a bunch of stuff for Dragon and Dungeon online. But the, I only have one thing that ever got printed in a in a paper magazine, and uh, yeah, that just kind of floated into freelancing a lot for Dragon and Dungeon. Um, came very close to freelancing to for for doing a quarter of the monsters in a monster vault book before that project got the plug pulled on it because in retrospect they were developing fifth edition at the time and they stopped doing crunchy books yeah um so i was this close and when my freelancing kind of dried up i was like well i can keep looking for more and look at other games because wizards isn't hiring as much or i could try to make my own game and okay. I, I went that route now i find myself always kind of wondering like if i had just kept freelancing there's been a real influx um with with D D, there's a lot of their supplements nowadays are have you know multiple writers and it's they pull a lot from like the dms guild and from from freelance people yeah um, and uh i was you know, like when i think about it i was kind of poised to be like on board for that right away like the 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 folks at 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 uh wizards liked me and worked with me a lot um, they assigned, they, they gave me assignments. They like, they pitched stuff to me to write, um, at one, you know, a few times. And yeah, like I could have been like one of those people that is in like, that has some amount of writing in like every other or every third D and D book. If I had gone a different route. That's, that's so, uh, like, cause my, my freelancing was very much in the indie space just to begin with. 
and like you're over here like oh yeah watsy you know you know them (laughs) no i could have yeah i think a lot of people like because both of us we started like our first ever role-playing game was dungeons and dragons like as much as like indie people you know not necessarily always talk shit or or Mm -hmm. put up our noses at but you know we have our opinions on it i get a little snide from time i do too i do too (laughs) but it is you know it's 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 the popular game. It's like, you know, it would be like, oh, you got your start reading fantasy books because you picked up Harry Potter. <laughs> no, like, you know, like, <laughs> obviously you did because that's the mainstream pipeline into the hobby. Uh, it's, or like, <laughs> oh, you got into sports by playing Swedish pocket handball i don't know like (laughs) i can't think of an obscure sport like high lie yeah sure like i mean probably you didn't probably you didn't probably you played basketball or football (laughs) or volleyball or something yeah so i i think like my on-ramp into like actually writing and, and doing a little freelancing like i said it was an indie space but the person that got me into it my friend bryce whitaker uh he worked like in he had like kind of a similar path that you did and like started making his own games in that in that way and was looking for people to write for his work and then that's how I got in but Bryce Bryce I met because like I said I wanted to play some D&D it was fourth edition I remember my first gen con was when fourth edition came out and I didn't know that there was going to be a new a new book apparently all my friends did they probably told me but I have this whole thing where sometimes people will say something to me and I, I will look like I'm listening and it didn't actually go into the brain um, <laughs> or I'll forget. Like it's, it's hard sometimes. And it was even worse when I was younger. Um, but uh, we went, we went there and we ditched all of our three, five books. And we came home with our fourth edition books. And we played some D and D with our new books. That was, that was my first Gen Con experience. <laughs> But yeah, I, I wanted, because I was away from my home group, I was missing it, I wanted to play. So I thought like, oh, great first date idea with someone I started dating in college. Let's go to a D&D night at the local gaming store that was near my college. And that's how I met Bryce. And uh, old boyfriend's gone, Bryce still friends. <laughs> uh, and he was like, I don't know, he was like really, like right off the gate, he was like, come on, let's keep playing let me give you some of these books. Why don't you come, come play? We're going to play, uh, like, what was the first thing we, I think we might've actually played Deadlands as our first game, like, like Bryce inviting me to his house to play. And then from there, he's like, you know, you know, I have this game. I have this, this Sherlock Holmes game. Uh, we're making a new supplement for it. You want to write for it? I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's do that. So like instantly into the, into the indie space. And I think that kind of gave me like, like seeing people that I knew and I was friends with and I knew were normal people and not like, I don't know. I don't know, like little wizards in a high tower. Like I would imagine probably the Wizards of the Coast people are like, if, <laughs> if I didn't know any better now, uh, like seeing people be able to make games and going to conventions with them, especially and meeting more people that were making indie games made me think like, oh, I could start doing that. Yeah. And when I went, I went on a cruise with Alex. Um, when we got like we got engaged on the cruise, it's the Jonathan Colton cruise, the Joko cruise. It's like a big old nerdy boat where everyone is doing nerdy stuff together. 
And there was a panel about people. No, the first panel. Who was it? Was it? It might have been Keith Baker. Someone, someone was talking about their game. I think it was Keith Baker. Um, <laughs> was talking about making a game, and I was like, you know, I have an interesting idea for a game that I think would be really cool. And I talked to Alex about it, and he said, "Well, let's 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 do it." So we did. <laughs> uh, I mean, a lot of it's just been like, oh, I think this would be fun. Let's do it. And I think that's that's an instinct that's really good to follow. It's really healthy to follow when you're in a creative industry, I think. Did you like, because you said you started writing your own stuff when freelancing was starting to dry up a little bit for you. Had you ever considered doing your own games before that? Um, I had tinkered with the idea a few times, but I basically failed or I felt like I wasn't really getting anywhere. I didn't feel like I was at a place where I was going to be able to do anything terribly good. Um, so there was a big hump of, you know, I had to get over the hump of like just confidence in myself and like, like it would have been nice to have Alex as a friend who just, who would just walk up to me and say, just do it. Just like, just go. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've taken to heart the, the advice and like things that I hear from, from people in creative realms in general. And, and that goes for gaming and for other places too. Like, like you made the comment where you just realized like, oh, you like, I could make a game. Like. I kind of got to that point as well. And I've, I've, that's something that I've seen happen in creative fields in general, where I, I've seen multiple, you know, interviews with multiple film directors, for example, where they said, you know, and I was a little kid and I loved this movie and I love that movie. And there came a point when I was young or maybe when they were a little older where they thought people make this, people make these for a living. There's nothing special about them other than, you know, just having a love of this thing and yeah. really wanting to dedicate themselves to it. Like there's, there's nothing magical about it. It's just being passionate. And that's where they were like, and that took them down the road of like, you know, I'm going to make movies or I'm going to write, or I'm going to, you know, make music or whatever. And it took me a long time. Like I, I got comfortable in freelancing because it was like a nice little gig. It was low risk. I was doing well with it. I would always have like multiple freelance gigs uh, each year for, for a few years there. And, uh, you know, I just kind of had to get it into my head of like, you know, take a shot. Like there's, why not? I don't know if I've mentioned this on here, but I've talked about it. Like there, uh, for all of Kevin Smith's faults, he has a great little speech he gives about, you know, surrounding yourself with people who avoiding for surrounding yourself with people who ask why, you know, I'm going to make a movie. Why I'm going to make a game. Why? Why not? Like surround yourself with people who say, yeah, why not? Um, and so like when I started bringing up what I was thinking about doing to friends, I did have friends who were like, okay, sure, go for it. I'll try it out. Like, Show me what you got when you got something and we'll play it and we'll see. And that's just kind of, you know, it took a little bit of reinforcement and me just getting over my own belief that there was something magical and special about the people who made the games. Yeah, I, I think it's because like when you're not when you're not around people who are in these kinds of creative fields, like it is hard to imagine like how you get into it. It does seem very special because it's a special thing to you. Like going to the movies is a special thing. Reading a book is a special thing. Playing a game is a special thing that invokes a lot of cool emotions and it makes it seem like this. It does make it seem like magic in a lot of ways. Art is very magical and, and creative works are very magical. And it, there, like you said, there is nothing, there's nothing special about. Yeah. It's the, it's the difference between it feels magical 
and into you and it evoke, you know, emotionally and it does things for you like that mm-hmm. versus like, it's literal magic. Like there's nobody that has like special powers for making this thing. They just, they just, they feel the same way as you do. They right. think movies or games or music or whatever is magical too. And they just like, I want to be part of making that magic. Well, there are also people, of course, like in, even in the role-playing game industry, knowing people is really important to, it's like a really important, like, uh, what is the word that I'm looking for? Shortcut. I'm looking for the word shortcut. <laughs> it's an important shortcut to, to a lot of like what you might call like commercial success. I mean, if you look at a lot of actors, for example, a lot of them had been, you know, they're children of other actors or children or producers and directors and things like that. But I don't think it's only nepotism. I think a lot of it is the, they have already gotten past the barrier of the, I don't know anyone who's ever done this before. And it seems like I can't because they're around normal people who do it. But of course, knowing people is important. I, I, you know, I got my first freelancing gig because I was friends with the person who was looking for writers. That's just how it yeah, happened. Same thing here is yeah. how, as it turns out. Um, but that's not to say that those are necessary, that, that that's like necessary. the path in. Right. Yeah. Like there's and plenty of people that have started with just like, you know, they've got some people around them that are supportive and they said, okay, I'm going to go for it. Um, and they learned along the way. I like the, the shortcut is just that, right. You know, you can still take the path. Right. Right. And it's also easier than ever to start making connections with people because you can start following creators that you really like on social media and, and talking with them or joining organizations, uh, joining the mentorship programs that are available and starting to make connections that way. Um, and that will also open up a lot of opportunities too. It's not a closed off. I mean, there are, there's a lot of clickishness, I think in, in any industry really. Um, and, uh, that can happen, but there, there are lots of avenues to make those connections and, and start creating. Um, and you can also always team up with other people to make something too. And then you're already starting to do something and, and publishing. There's so many gateways for publishing now. I, I think it, this is, if you want to do it, this is the time like to start tomorrow. Do instead of NaNoWriMo, <laughs> do nano. Yeah, nano game. I was trying to make like a TTRPG thing in there, and you can't like turge. No, yeah, it's it. Yeah, I think all you need like is to to want to do it. Like that's also that's the whole point of NaNoWriMo is anyone can write a novel. You just have to write it. You have to do it, and that's it. Yeah, and I think that's great. Everybody, you know, everybody has life circumstances that make it, you know, like you may not have the luxury of powering out a novel in a month because you don't have that kind of free time. You've got family and work and kids and other, um, but, you know, you can power out that novel over the course of a year, you know, if you just want to really, you know, it, it requires staying on track and, and having, <laughs> finding, finding a way to motivate yourself. That's, yeah. that's the big thing. Like, you know, murders and acquisitions, my first game took, I spent a long time on that because I decided, you know, I don't know when I'm going to have a lot of freelancing pop back up again. At the time, I wasn't sure, if, you know, I, I figured I might pursue more again at some point. And so I, I was just like, this will be done when it's done. And I just let myself get there. And because, especially because I had to learn a lot of things along the way, there's, 
and I was I was looking long term at the idea of I'm going to you know actually get art and layout and editing and go to Kickstarter and publish it on Drive Through RPG. Um, so there was a lot of steps along the way. So I figured I'll just take the steps as as I take them. I'll get to the things when I get to them. And it took you know people have remarked about how prolific I've been in the last few years, but like m a that was like a two and a half year process of getting to the kickstarter and then it was nearly another year to fulfill mm -hmm. it was like eight months before i fulfilled because mm -hmm. uh the learning curve was enormous even even with the the um uh the freelancing experience that i had you know learning how to do all the other stuff yeah <laughs> and getting just finding play testers was a gigantic pain in the ass when i was first trying like outside of outside of just friends like i could get friends to play but i'm also a little wary that they're just going to be nice um which is something that you know keep in mind folks if you're having play testers your friends might be nicer um and you might not get as good a feedback unless uh, unless you really drill it into their heads that they have to be honest yeah. with you um but yeah, like it, it, it was rough finding freelancers. I, I ended up, I think, probably only getting feedback from about half of the freelance groups that I actually sent stuff to. I got people interested. I sent stuff to them a month and a half later, like, well, sorry, we couldn't because they had no, you know, like they didn't have to. They weren't under contract or anything right. with me. Nobody was getting paid. They were doing it for fun. Um, you know, so I had like half the groups fall through. So it took a long time for me to feel like I was getting anywhere with that. And I was developing something much larger than an adventure <laughs> or a you know short article about class abilities yeah. which is all that which is the type of stuff i had done so like it took me a long time to just write all the pieces like even while stuff while playtesting was going on i was slowly plinking away at additional content that was going to get playtested the next time um it's yeah it, there's a whole it's a process, process. Yeah, yeah it's a process for sure and it doesn't like I I have I have often commented like wow Craig's got another Kickstarter look <laughs> let him go Jeez. let him go <laughs> uh, vroom, vroom. <laughs> um, but yeah it, it takes a while and I think like I remember sitting down because Alex and I started <clears throat> when we actually got serious and wanted to like start making a game we had a game idea we had a game idea in mind and we went to Origins. Because we wanted to make this, we I I still want to make this game, um, that's very heavily inspired by Snow Crash, um, which is a novel by Neil Stevenson. It's great if you haven't read it, uh, go read it. It's awesome. I like it a lot. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we we sat down. We what we talked to somebody about it, um, and he asked us to pitch the game to him, and we could not. We did not know how to do this. <laughs> Uh, and we, we, after that conversation, like after the initial, like, oh, well, whatever, it's fine. And then we thought we're like, oh, maybe it is too big of a project right now. We have never really tried this yet. We haven't actually given it a shot yet. And we decided to do something a little smaller after being inspired by a game that we play tested at Origins that we thought we could make a more punk game of. <laughs> sure. Uh, and that's how we did Moonpunk. It was inspired by a, a novel that Alex loves. Um, and so there was a learning curve there. It was just like limiting ourselves. So we've had this other project in our side pocket since then, like since 2018. Uh, and that I heard 2018, 2019, and whatever. I don't remember times anymore. The time is <laughs> a one big blob now. 
but we decided so because we needed to learn how to collaborate creatively together because I mean obviously we're a couple but that doesn't mean we know we knew how to work together um and we wanted to like kind of brush up on our like our designing and our writing um and I do layout so brushing up on layout so we started doing live twitch um creations of games like little mini games little micro games we really were trying to stick to one page for a long time and that was a bad idea but it was fun to try and we make a game <laughs> live on stream uh and then we'd polish it up over the week and we'd release it every week uh or every, yeah every week uh and it was a lot it was a lot of uh of practice it was like running drills in uh for a sport and I think it really helped us learn how to collaborate together. But there was still this huge learning curve when we made Moonpunk. There was all sorts of stuff that we didn't know would go into a project where we had even more collaborators on board with us and, and more like intense layout, getting art, really hammering down rules. Like it was, it was very intense, um, but you don't know what you don't know until you realize that you don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to like have a lot of wherewithal and a lot of um i don't know determination to overcome obstacles as they come up um unknown obstacles and and learning new skills like you have to really if you want to be in the indie sphere at least and you don't want to just like i want to be a specific job person in watsi um you have to kind of be a jack of all trades in a lot of ways and that means you're probably going to have to spend uh, several hours youtubing how to change the bleed on adobe indesign (laughs) 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 or whatever it is you're gonna have to do a lot of research and a lot of and a lot of studying up and you're not going to be good at it right away unless you're some sort of ttrpg savant you're gonna your first game's gonna suck we've said that a lot uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) on the stream it's gonna suck and and i (laughs) sometimes i look at moonpunk i'm like oh god this is terrible and then sometimes i look at it and i say i am amazing and i love myself (laughs) it really depends on the day um but yeah you have to have a lot of creative work is hard because there's no one telling you what to do there's there's if you're especially if you're publishing for yourself there's no boss you're the boss you're the boss of yourself now you have to keep your own schedule you have to come up with the timeline you have to come up with work or delegate it to other people at this point. And there it's so much of a mental load that I, it is, I think that that itself can scare a lot of people away. Um, but even though it's way more work, like the reward at the end, whenever someone tells me that they like my game or they said, Oh, I played your game at this con- I ran this, I ran your game at this convention. I get this little dopamine hit and it is so good. <laughs> it's so good. It's amazing and yeah. it's worth it. And uh, it's like the little mice who will get electrocuted so they can have some sugar. That is that is me. I am the mouse. I am the mouse in the cage trying to get a little dopamine hit and, and feeling a little pain along the way to do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really liked, I'm glad that Alex and I made all these um, silly little games before. I always call them silly, but there's a lot of stuff in there that I ended up recycling um, for the means of magic. Um, our, our whole, um, like our whole conflict resolution 
um, system in there is all based off of a game called 10 Paces, which was also based off of a game called My Mecha Has Shark Arms. So you can see <laughs> how silly it gets the further you back. The grandfather of the game was about making a mech that could have shark arms, which were arms <laughs> made of sharks. Very fun. <laughs> What's what's the biggest thing that like surprised you? Uh, what was like the hardest thing when you started like making your own games? I should ask. Oh boy! Early on, I had a really hard time with criticism. I I like to tell people that like you know you have to when you get your playtest feedback you know you have to know what's you have to figure out what's valuable and what's not and there's some people that are going to criticize this or that and that's just personal preference and blah 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 um, or. Uh, you know, and it's just somebody who played the game who was like, you know, I, I really wish the game would do this. It's like, oh, well, that's like a different game, my friend. Um, and, <laughs> and, and that happened way back. Oh, boy, did I get pissed off. I kept my cool with the person. But somebody played Mergers and Acquisitions at a little convention and then got into this conversation with me. And I asked, you know, like I was asking for feedback. I was asking for commentary and, and they had commentary. And it was basically to criticize more or less everything that the game is about. And basically saying that it basically in their head, they, they, had, they had a thought of what the game was meant to be, should be, could be in their head. And they were trying to convince me to make it that, I guess. Um, but it basically just came across as just criticizing like everything that I was doing. And I got, I was, I, you know, I kept it together and, um, at the end, I got a little curt with them and I said like, well, that sounds like a great game. You should design that. Cause that's not this game. Um, but I got like that and that, but that was on my mind. Like I couldn't shake that for the rest of the convention. And for like a week after I was like, just irritated. I took a lot, it took me, you know, getting, doing a couple of games before I, and, and going through a lot of play testing and getting a lot of feedback before I got, um, okay with criticism i think it was probably while it, it was probably while playtesting die laughing that i started to get okay with it because die laughing was playtested kind of strangely i never gave it to playtest groups i took it to all sorts of conventions and so if you look at the playtest credits in die laughing it's all like the people at this convention the people at that convention um because i just it was you know the game played in two hours i could go and do like just you know a bunch of playtests at a, at a convention and just get a whole different group of people each time. And the, and the feedback time was you know, like, they didn't have time to sit there and think about how they're going to criticize and how they're going to. So occasionally somebody would say something that was a little off the cuff and it was a little, like a little rough to hear, but mostly it was just like, Hey, this, you know, it would, it would have been cool if this ran faster. You know, it would have been cool. I mean, like this, I, I really like this part. Don't change this at all. You know? Um, and crit the criticism was a little bit nicer because it was face to face. And I started to kind of like, oh, like even when they're saying something negative or they have, a, you know, something that they didn't that they didn't like that they would prefer was different. Like it's it's just like it's just a person's opinion. And that was that was what there was a disconnect when it was words on a page that I was getting from the ether. Mm -hmm. Where it was like, oh, this is somebody passing judgment. Whereas like when I was getting a lot of in-person stuff, it's just like, oh, this is just a person with an opinion. Um, and I can take that opinion to heart and I can run with that or I can ignore that and move past it. And that was that was probably the biggest hurdle I had in like the first few games. Like during MA and Capers, um, I got really hurt <laughs> on a number of occasions. And every so often I still get a little bothered. I think it's impossible not to. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it, 
I'm, I'm human. I have real emotions despite being a robot. I'm human. I'm actually a human. You so keep yeah. Telling yourself that, Craig. <laughs> you'll, you'll be a real boy soon. <laughs> just, just delete those comments from my memory bank. I won't have to worry about them anymore. Yeah. That was what, what was, did you, you have any, anything that was like the, the hurdle that you had a hard time with? Um, or no, any, or like a, another, really? Or a, a hurdle, another hurdle? The, the, the scope of taking on a project that needs to be polished and complete and the, the responsibility for that being all on me and Alex too. But, <laughs> but right. like that was the hardest hurdle was just getting my mind around something that was going to take a long time of work and needed to have a really clear vision at the end of what we wanted. Um, that was the hardest. And then taking that image, taking that final image and reconciling it with the fact that it was not going to be exactly that. Like the perfect image of the game that I have in my head is never going to be the same as the reality of the product. And I don't know that that's the toughest thing for me because I that is yeah, tough, yeah it is super tough because I I've I've done creative stuff all of my life I've written stuff all of my life um I you know I originally majored in creative writing for example I changed my major like seven times in college all within the <laughs> English department but I am that person you know like the the statistic that says <laughs> right. that the average freshman changes <laughs> their major three times i'm the outlier liar i i'm skewing that statistic you um, you 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 made up for me never changing my major yeah yeah definitely we averaged out <laughs> I, I went from creative writing to like just general english then i went to journalism then i went back to creative writing like it was a lot um but it was fine because it was all within the first two years so <laughs> i was still doing that's the time to do it that's the time to do it but yeah I've, I've done creative work all my life and that's the hardest thing i think for any creative project is like i don't know about you i don't know if this is just the way my mind works but when i'm starting to think about a creative work i want to do whether it's a a story or a poem or a game i have like this it's more of a feeling it's more of like an emotion for me like i know the emotion i want to capture and that is yeah, that's you know you can't it's chasing the lightning like you can't like you can't control that. how other people are gonna relate mm -hmm. to the whole thing that's the, or, that's a or tough how part. you're yeah. actually going to make it look or or the cool idea you had for a mechanic if it's actually gonna math the way that you want to math it and <laughs> like there's there's that like allowing so much stuff to kind of be out of your control in that way while still taking on the responsibility that is the hardest thing for me uh but luckily like i i had a lot of criticism like within my career um in college and beyond because i was on the newspaper staff in high school so like all of that is getting criticism feedback constantly and having to deal with that and then in college gosh that even got worse like if i if i wrote something that made someone mad that was even worse um and like <laughs> uh <laughs> some of it was my fault um but gosh that doesn't uh, it sucks when when someone uh critiques you um and then doing creative projects when someone critiques you and i was in like um fiction critique groups and that now i'm a teacher and 
gosh, you get criticized every day by children who are sometimes incredibly mean. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But still, and then like going, going into working with Alex, I have a feedback machine right there. And you can see in some of the videos that we have posted on our YouTube, you can see him and I, like he and I, we don't really fight, but we like have a certain way of talking to each other that can seem like to the outside, um, like a little (laughs) catty. Cause we, we have, we have quote unquote arguments all the time. Like one time we had a, a, a very long and what heated, uh, pun intended argument about where peppers evolved. from. <laughs> <laughs> this is a recurring joke that we, we have, but you can see on those early YouTube videos, like where we start like bickering about something like, <laughs> big, like arguing about what we want to do. And right there, like that, that gets me over the hump of like having to like, oh, someone doesn't like this. Well, Alex doesn't like half the stuff I say anyway. It's fine. <laughs> and I live with him. <laughs> but it still sucks every time. Like, it doesn't, like, it's because you have that idea in your head and it's so tied into your emotions and it's part of you because you're, like, birthing it into the world. And then they're saying, oh, I don't like it. Your baby is ugly. And that sucks. <laughs> Even if you think your baby is the most it's beautiful baby in the world. still my baby. <laughs> that's, that's half of my genes. You're saying half of my jeans are ugly. Um, (laughs) But, you know, sometimes babies are born ugly um, and then they grow up and they're beautiful. And uh... (laughs) sorry, I'm laughing at my own stupid metaphor. (laughs) You'd make a great, you'd make a great mom there, I think. uh... Oh, uh, (laughs) you know. Supportive aunt. (laughs) I'm sure if I'm sure if I had my own baby, it would never be ugly. There you go. Uh, Because it wouldn't be. Uh, yeah criticism sucks uh was the whole purpose of that uh but it's it's so necessary in a creative work because again the image that you have in your mind is not going to be the image that actually works I'm lucky though a lot of the skills that I you know I started learning when I was in high school turned out to be incredibly relevant to my work in design and editing um like actual layout design and and editing work because that's all I did in 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 high school and college and then also as a teacher as a journalism teacher like that's all I was doing half the time uh yeah I'm thinking too like I wonder like do you use any skills that you used in your career that were surprisingly helpful to you in game design because I feel like so much of mine is so relevant (laughs) And I don't know if it's just because I'm putting like the skills I already knew and using them and that's what everyone does or if I just got lucky. I think on an abstract level, um, there are things that I use, things that I do, skills that I've built in my professional life that I went to college for um, that helped me. And I'll touch on that in a moment. But also, I think in high school and in college, I was a good student. So even though I don't I don't have an English degree or I don't have a degree in like graphic design or a degree in something that is directly clearly applicable to um, game design. I, you know, I was, I was a good student. I was focused. I got my homework done. I got my work done. I absorbed material. I found good ways to learn to do things. Um, And uh, in college, you know, I took some courses that required me to write a fair amount. Um, I learned typing. Like in my senior year of high school, I learned to to type um, and I continued to utilize um, 
keyboards <laughs> via computers for many years. And so that has helped me to just be better at getting things done relatively quickly because um, I can touch type. Um, there's, there's, there's things like that. In, in my day job, I'm an architect and there's aspects of, of what I do that translate fairly well. Um, one, I think probably the, the clearest one that tra translates well to publishing is architects are by nature managers. Um, yes, we design the building. You've got an eye toward aesthetics and then an eye toward like how the building gets put together and an eye toward like all of how all the spaces relate to one another and making sure that it's all the, the plans laid out correctly and it, the building functions. But you're also coordinating with structural and mechanical and plumbing and electrical and civil and all of these people. So you're doing a lot of management. You're dealing with a client and you're managing their expectations. You're dealing with a contractor and managing the realities of what they're doing um, when they when they actually build the thing. Um, and so I think that translates very well to managing an artist and a cartographer and an editor and a layout person and getting feedback from play testers and pre presenting the right information to play testers so that they can play test asking the right questions about and so that you're getting the right information back um presenting information to the artist you know, being an art director like you know what's what's the best way i can get my point across for art direction but but still allow them to exercise their art um and not you know dictate it too much um, how, what can I give to the editor that will allow them to do the editing job? And the answer is not just the manuscript. Um, there's, there's at the very least a, dis, you know, a discussion of like what your expectations are of how things are going to be organized and laid out. So to make sure they can keep an eye on that. You might have, um, uh, uh, um, style guides and things like that, where you like, like. I have a, I have I have a penchant for capitalizing words that don't need to be capitalized because I like to draw attention to them in that way. Um, so trait names are capitalized and like that sort of thing. So I got to give the editor a list. Here's the list of all the words that get capitalized when they're used in game terminology. But you know, like the word body is capital B when it's <laughs> your trait, yeah. your body trait, but it's not capital B when you're just talking about the monster's body. You know, and so I got to you know know how to do all that stuff. Um, architecture also has um what i I've, I've developed over the years is thinking of as term uh two sides to it there's an art and a craft um and the art is you're creating um a building that's going to be pleasing to look at pleasing to inhabit um it's going to uh make you feel a certain way like you like there there is architecture that makes you feel a certain way there's like architecture that's big and tall and grand it makes you feel very small it makes you feel the building is important and the place you're in is important and what's being done there is important there's architects that's cozy and makes you feel warm and safe um there's there's all sorts of architecture and you can so you can create the art and that's analogous sort of to the the prose side of um game design where you're that, that feeling thing giving, the, giving them a, giving them a world giving the the reader a world setting the stage making them understand kind of how the world funk how the world is put together and who the people and places and things are and the events uh, and also treat uh speaking to like what the play experience is like what kind of what, what do you want the players to kind of come out of the game feeling do you want them to feel like superheroes do you want them to feel like whoa we escaped by the skin of our teeth do you want them to feel like wow we really delved into some deep emotional stuff um and then on the craft side you know architecture there's like how the building goes together how these you know these rooms need to be next to one another they need to be certain sizes doors doorways hallways different things have mm. to be certain things um you know an office that's narrower than nine feet is not a good office period 
um you know there's just like all these little rules that you know like how, how do you put how do you put <laughs> how do you put the uh, uh the building envelope together like like I, I've remarked to people who don't know a lot about architecture that architecture is 50% trying to keep water from getting into the building. And when it does get the water back out and it's 40% keeping the roof from flying off. Um, and then the rest of it is just making it pretty um, <laughs> <laughs> because there are realities to the environment and realities to construction. Um, and so in, 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 games that's like that's the rules that's like you know you want the game to evoke these emotions well it also needs to function as a game however to whatever to whatever level of complexity you want that game to be you know there's mechanics and systems and subsystems and how those interplay with one another and um, how they can support the uh the artistic side of things um and how that and, and how that information is presented like you know like how do you construct a stat block that's easy to navigate and understand it's that's not that's not you know how do you lay out the book and what you know what order do you present the information um and that's not terribly different from like you know like you've got a building and you know you've got to have signage and wayfinding and be able to people need to be able to get where they're going you don't want it to be confusing you want the private stuff in the back and the public stuff up front and how do you get from one place to another and who has access to what and yeah there's there's all sorts of things that it's on an abstract level that cross over um but also um learn to touch type yeah oh my gosh Mavis Beacon, <laughs> man like learning how to type fast has helped me so much <laughs> <laughs> but I remember making those little penguins jump from ice block to ice block. You know, <laughs> millennials understand. Uh, <laughs> I love Mavis Beacon, man. That was great. Uh, also, I played a lot of Neopets and that forced me to type fast because there were a lot of typing games in Neopets. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a very interesting analogy. It definitely sounds like you're able to use a lot of your architecture skills. I think making it making a, a game is very similar to constructing a building is a very good metaphor too uh <laughs> i i find it like interesting to hear too when you're talking about oh how to compose a stat block how to do all of this like the style guides um also as an indie publisher knowing like actually how to get your digital version to a print version there's a lot of stuff you have to know with that too and some of the stuff you won't know until you you try it and then your your printer comes back and says don't do that please you're gonna make the printer die uh you can't have 200 black here uh <laughs> everything needs to add up you know like oh that makes sense now i understand there's like so many little little details if someone like me the little details can be really hard. Um, but the good thing is a lot of people want to see you succeed and they won't just send you away the first time you make a mistake. Um, and also a great thing about games is that you can, you can change them and, and publish a new version later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not no, permanent. No one's, no one's carving that on a, on a, on, uh, on a big stone wall and be like, that's the only version you get. Well, um, unless you're joining my carve into the big stone wall jam on itch.io, <laughs> <laughs> then yes, we are. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, it, it's just, I don't know. I, I, making a game is something that's so natural. I think we all do it as children. We all make our own little fantasy games. We all play pretend. And now you're like, you're taking that and you're putting like different rules on it. And of course there's, there's going to be, a learning curve there. I'm still up, up that learning curve. I'm still going up it. 
but it's fun. It's very rewarding. I think if you don't like to be, if you don't like to be an autodidact, if you don't like to self-teach, maybe not the best thing to try out. Um, I don't think that there are any whole university programs where you can get a, you know, a master's degree in, in role-playing game design. Uh, it'd be cool if there were, uh, but I don't think we're as respected as I want that to be. Um, yeah, it's just so much stuff to, to do and to take care of, but it's so fun to do. And then you have a book at the end and your mom's proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and, and that, those challenges keep coming. Like yeah. I've, I've found myself reflecting a lot on um, everything about Nerdburger games and the stuff that I've done before and what I'm looking to do in the future and, and like really kind of thinking about like, okay, well, what challenges do I have to overcome? And there's like, we talked about the, uh, the things that, you know, the biggest hurdles I had early on, but I still have a hurdle and this has been a hurdle since day one. And it's still, it's a hurdle now. And I'm reasonably certain it's going to be a hurdle forever. And that is, and I've heard it expressed this way online, somewhere on a Twitter post or something. Somebody said, I really love having made a game. Yes. Um, and that's that's what I am. I, I really love having made a game. The last 10% of, the, of getting the game out the door is hell. It's so frustrating. It's so just like, I just wanted to get here so badly. Not that it's hard necessarily, because I've learned what I need to do. But it's just the time, like, you, okay, like it's ready. It's like a couple pieces of art slapping the layout i can start to put some stuff together i get you know this i gotta wait for the printer whatever you know whatever the last few stages are like i'm really kind of in the middle of that with the kickstarter right now like this this thing is nearly done but i'm just like oh i gotta slug my way through a kickstarter and then i gotta get it made and you know get the get the final thing put together which and it's mostly done but i really i'm really really looking forward to having made code warriors because <laughs> mm -hmm. right now i'm still making it yeah, I'm also really looking forward to having made the means of magic because <laughs> I am currently laying it out. And again, I had like this beautiful image in my mind and like actually putting it onto, in this case, the screen, because I'm designing digitally on Affinity uh, is hard. It's hard. <laughs> I want it to be over, but I have to make it, I have to do it to make it be over. Um, and that, that's hard. I'm, I'm ready for it to be over because <laughs> the, <laughs> the game itself is done. And now we're waiting on me. Like that's, that's a level of responsibility. That's kind of hard, but yeah, I like it. I like, I like being proud of my work. Um, and I would really encourage anyone who's listening, who's ever thought like, I want, I think it'd be really cool to make a game to make one, just to make one. It doesn't, it can be silly. And we just did with Alex just a couple episodes ago, we, we designed the skeleton of a game together. And it took an hour. That was all. We had a game idea. Then you just have to like put some stuff on it. And it doesn't have to be super complicated. Uh, or write for a game. I really enjoyed writing for like just, just my last little quick wrap up. My favorite freelance thing I ever did was also for Bryce. It was for his game, his Robin Hood game, just called Hood Swashbuckling Adventures in Sherwood Forest. And I got to do the stretch goal for the Kickstarter to do the competition, the tournament of the golden arrow. But the challenge was, this is a story we all know, you know, it's Robin Hood and he, you know, he does the tournament. That's the story. Like the one that everyone knows about Robin Hood. But I had to write it for the perspective of a group of other merry men. 
at the competition where Robin Hood is the star. How can I make this group shine? And it was such a fun challenge. And I'm so proud. Like I can go pull that book off my shelf and be like, look, there's my name. I did this really cool thing. I took this story that I've been learning about and hearing about since I was a child, watching a little fox with another little fox and a bear on the cartoon screen. Like I got to do that. And, and the reward for it never, ever goes away. <laughs> I, I get really giddy about talking about um, that one in particular. I'm, I'm very proud of how it turned out. And if you want to see it, let me, let me get to my plugs. If you want to see that one, you can pick up your copy of Hood, Splash Bubbling <laughs> Adventures in Sherwood. You can get that on DriveThruRPG or find it on FearlightGames.com. I think it's still up and running. Uh, I also have credits in uh, Baker Street, uh, which is a Sherlock Holmes role-playing game. Um, I have credits in a couple of their books uh, where I did some plot hooks and I did some mystery adventures in two of them um, where you solve a mystery. uh, And I came up with those on my own and that was really (laughs) fun too. And you can also find my games on DriveThruRPG. And the one that I'm the, like, one of the ones that I'm the most proud of on DriveThruRPG is uh, the one that's very popular is called So Here's the Plan, where you put together a heist with your <laughs> friends. But I also really like our very special episode, uh, RPG called A Very Special Episode which is a party game where you sit around and you solve um, very special episode problems with a group of people. (laughs) So I have all sorts of little ones, but also Moonpunk. Moonpunk is a political action game that keeps getting like brought up every election cycle. There's an article right now that I I was looking at um, because it is a game that not only do you get to play punks fighting fascism and oppression on the moon, you get to learn real life strategies for how to fight oppression in your own community using direct action, which in my opinion is the best way to fight oppression and fascism. And direct action just means you are doing the action instead of giving someone money or support to do that action. So for example, um, after uh, your local group of white supremacists go through your city and put stickers on everything, literally going out and taking them down. Um, Direct action can be as simple as that. Uh, Or going out and protesting. Those are all forms of direct action. Um, So the game teaches you how to do that. And then uh, The Means of Magic is coming out. And that is like the biggest project I've ever tried to attempt. Um, And we had a great team of artists on it. And like I said, I'm being slow. It's my fault that it's not out yet. Um, But I hope that it will look it will be worth the wait. I hope it will look as nice as I want it to look. And uh, I am very, very happy with how a lot of it looks already. I just need to learn how to make myself happier. Luckily, I have Alex telling me like, <laughs> Jessica, just like do it. Just like put it on the page. And not everything needs to be an artwork. I'm like, I know, I know. But um, yeah, no, you can find all of that at wannabegames.com, which is currently under construction because I took it all down because I didn't like how it looked and then I need to build it back up. Uh, <laughs> or drive through RPG or itch.io at wannabe games. W A N N A B E. Wannabe, like the Spice Girls song. <laughs> Love it. And you can find me on Twitter at, at Joska, which I say every time. That's the longest uh, 
me self-plugging I've ever done. <laughs> Greg, your turn. <laughs> Where can oh, we find your buildings? No, just doing my you. buildings? Oh, all over the Atlanta area. <laughs> I'm actually all over the Southeast US and Milwaukee. And anyway, um, oh, I've got a lot of credits. I'm not going to try to list them. Um, but if you like fourth edition D&D, there's, you know, you can get the PDFs of uh, Dragon Online and Dungeon Online from that era. There's all sorts of my adventures in there, along with a handful of other smaller things. Um, I wrote some stuff for Iron Kingdoms, if you dig that, for the, uh, in, in the uh, let's see, da, 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 da. oh, uh, Rest in Pieces by Imagining Games has supplements, like little decks of cards that are supplements to that game. I wrote the one that is about Charon the Boatman. Uh, the ferryman the uh the, it's all greek greek mythology inspired because i love greek mythology so i wrote a, a supplement where greek mythology gets goofy and weird and you're uh uh you're playing a deadbeat roommate who is uh, a, a deadbeat who is roommates with charon the ferryman who doesn't want to do his job anymore and just hangs around the apartment all the time uh the, 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 what else uh yeah there's a, a, a ton of games at drive rpg.com die laughing is one of those that uh was like could have been my first game. It was developed way back before um, Murders and Acquisitions as a base concept. It went through multiple iterations before I finally figured out how to make the game into what I wanted it to be, or I had the epiphany that turned it into what it is. Um, Capers is kind of the, uh, that's the flagship game. That's a, that's, that's got a whole game line with supplements and everything. Capers Cyber is coming sometime, hopefully next year. Um, the plan is for later, like maybe this time next year. Um, it's in development. There's lots going on there. There's a Patreon um, that's uh, patreon.com slash Craig. If you want to help me kind of ramp up to that, people who patronize that are getting glimpses of rules and powers and artwork and all sorts of stuff um, before anybody else. Oh boy. Um, I did a bunch of little zine games that I referred to as the um almost as seen on tv series um <laughs> which is basically just stuff that's inspired by stuff that's on tv low stakes is probably one that people know best that's like what we do in the shadows as a role-playing game um and kickstarter right now is code warriors um which i really want to be done with <laughs> i want to, to i want the kickstarter to get to get over um but we got it we got a slog especially it's especially tough in the middle of the kickstarter right when you're slogging through the slow period um and that's where we are as i as we talk right now um but that'll be coming together pretty quickly um and i'm uh getting everything under control just about wrapped up writing for what is light without dark which Ooh. is a supplement for good, strong hands. The cover art might be in my hands this weekend. Um, and that means the layout guy is going to start rolling on that because he wants Todd, uh, Todd Crapper, who was the layout guy um, on the original game. Um, he wants to start with the cover to kind of get the aesthetic and then build that into the interior. So um, that's a lot of fun and that's under control. And I, my stupid brain literally this morning crapped an idea into my head that I might turn into it's very it's small scale it wouldn't be terribly expensive to make and it would be really pretty easy for me to develop um and I might I might just do it and then just dump it on people out of nowhere sure not no build up just like here's the thing do it do it <laughs> no do it. there's no rules why not <laughs> Uh, so, I, I think I'm, I'm at Nerdburger Craig. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, and nerdburgergames.com. 
that's correct. But if you're going to buy any games um, in PDF form right now, and, and you're interested in the Kickstarter, go pick up Code Warriors first and get the PDFs as add-ons because they're cheaper. Yeah, Craig, Craig keeps wanting to give away his games for for cheap. Like I gave away some of it, just so much of his product at Gen Con because he he told me to. He told me to just give it away. <laughs> I know I have to completely restock. I was all out, <laughs> and and I was like, oh look how awesome it is that you sold out. No, I, I'm joking, <laughs> Craig. I didn't I didn't do the thing I said I was gonna do, even though you said I you were know. gonna give me a hundred dollars. Uh, <laughs> cool. That um, means I don't, I don't owe you a hundred dollars. Right. Well, uh, thank. Uh, thank you to our opening and closing theme song, which is Avil by Steph Sachs, which was licensed under a Creative Commons license. Um, I should actually like have the full license in front of me when I say this, because I always want to say exactly what it is, and I never do. Uh, but thank you, Steph Sachs, for that song. And thank all of you for listening. And we'll see you back here next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.